The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tivaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's episode is being brought to you by Myriad Genetics. Well, cancer is present in all of our lives. We all have faced a diagnosis or know someone who has. Uh, Oftentimes, cancer occurs sporadically from gene mutations occurring over the course of a lifetime. However, about 10% of all incidences of cancer are caused by inherited gene mutations, which increase the risk for developing certain types of cancer. People living with these inherited gene changes also have a 50% chance of passing the mutation down to their children. When several people in your family have been diagnosed with cancer, many physicians may refer you for genetic testing. There are several different types of genetic testing, and today we're going to dive into one of those, which is called multi-gene panel testing. I am very pleased to be joined today on the show by two guests who are here to help us understand uh, what is a fairly complex topic uh, from two different perspectives, the physician's perspective and the patient's perspective. Our first guest Today is Dr. Sharon Lewin. Sharon Lewin is founder and executive director of the Lewin Fund, where she is responsible for the organization's operations and for setting its strategic vision. Dr. Lewin is a longtime advocate for women and women's health and brings more than 19 years of medical research and community outreach experience to her role. A board-certified gynecologic oncologist, Dr. Lewin specializes in the diagnosis, treatment, and management of several different gynecologic cancers. She serves as the medical director of the New Jersey-based Holy Name Medical Center's Gynecologic Oncology Division. She is a national educator on hereditary breast and ovarian cancer syndrome, cancer survivorship, and state-of-the-art treatment for advanced ovarian cancer. Dr. Lewin has authored or co-authored over 100 articles, abstracts, book chapters, and made many presentations uh, at conferences across the country and around the world. Thank you for being here, Dr. Lewin. Thank you. And also with us today is Barbara Bulow. Barbara is originally from Owensboro, Kentucky. She received her undergraduate undergraduate degree at Duke University before attending Columbia University to obtain her master's degree in NYU for her PhD. After earning her PhD, Barbara became the associate director of the Columbia Day Program, a private pay intensive group therapy program where she worked for about 30 years. After retiring in 2014, Barbara continued with her private practice treating families with young adults who are living with various mental illnesses. Both of Barbara's parents 
were diagnosed with cancer in the 1980s, leading to Barbara uh, leading to Barbara receiving genetic testing in 2008. In 2011, Barbara was diagnosed with fallopian tube cancer by Dr. Lewin and underwent new genetic testing earlier this year, revealing a genetic mutation that does increase chances of developing ovarian cancer. And currently, Barbara is on an immunotherapy clinical trial. Barbara, we're so happy to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Dr. Lewin, let's start with you and let's uh, you know back up here and start at the beginning. When is cancer considered to be genetic or hereditary? What's the rule of thumb there? Usually a cancer is considered to be genetic or hereditary if it's passed down from one family member to another. Um, Sometimes though it can be a little confusing because it can skip generations, but it's usually something where there's a risk that is passed down from one family member to another. And so when discussing hereditary advanced, uh, hereditary cancers, many of us initially go straight to breast and ovarian cancers, but those aren't the only ones. Can you tell us which type of cancers or other conditions like Lynch syndrome are considered hereditary? That's a great question. So you're right. Some breast and ovarian cancers definitely can be hereditary or passed on through our genes. There are other types of cancers like Lynch syndrome that are also considered hereditary. Lynch syndrome is a syndrome in which families have colon cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian, stomach cancer at young ages. Um, There are other cancer types that are associated with that syndrome. But, you know, there are several different kinds of cancers that can be considered hereditary. And so that's why the multi-gene panel testing, which we're going to talk about a little more during the show, is so important because it helps us identify a wide spectrum of cancers that could be caused by our genes or passed on from our family members. Okay. Okay. So, and we are going to dive into that. So, you know, again, this is, I know, a complex discussion, and we're just going to take this step by step so that uh, we can all learn a little bit about this today. Um, Barbara, I, I want to go to you. Can you tell us your cancer story? When were you diagnosed? What led to that diagnosis? And, and where are you today in your care? I first had bloating in April of 2011. And in May of 2011, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer stage four. I am very fortunate to be alive today which I credit a lot of that because of my treatment with Dr. Lewin. I've had almost continuous treatment over these past five-plus years. However, I've had a great quality of life. I've done a lot of interesting things, gone to a a lot more (laughs) countries than I ever had before. Mm. So I have had cancer most of the time, but have been truly enjoying my life. Right now, I'm on an immunotherapy trial at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Hospital. Um, It's a combination of Durval plus a vaccine, an antifolate vaccine, and I'm just in the beginning of the trial, so I don't know if it'll work yet, or possibly if it doesn't work, it'll make future treatments um, more, uh, my response better to future treatments. Mm, interesting. I want to ask you as an aside, you said that um, since you were diagnosed in 2011, that you've been to more countries than you ever imagined that you would. Was that because of the diagnosis from cancer? Did that Was, it, was travel always something that you wanted to do and, and cancer became the motivation to do that? I, I don't think the answer is quite as simple as that. 
Yeah. Uh, I have always uh, wanted to travel uh, because of family commitments and so on. It's part of the reason why my travel was less. However, this gave me the opportunity to truly um, improve my quality of life in terms of doing things that I really enjoyed. I just have to work it around my treatments or, you know, my side effects of the treatments. But I've been to places like South Africa, Cuba, Colombia, Argentina, Costa Rica twice, and then three different times uh, to Europe. Recently went on a river cruise, uh, been to the West Coast a couple times. So all of that has been in the last five years. Wow. Good for you. It's great to hear. Um, Thank you. Dr. Dr. Lewin, at what point do you determine whether or not someone is a good candidate for genetic testing? What's the criteria? How does this conversation happen? Or what do you hear or learn that that prompts you to send someone for genetic testing? There are actually well-established national guidelines that give doctors and clinicians um, an an idea of of who should be referred for genetic testing. evaluation. You know, there are many of us like me who do genetic testing in the office who feel comfortable with this subject uh, just to really help expedite getting this information for patients. But, you know, the national guidelines, uh, something called the NCCN, which is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, puts forth very clear guidelines for us in terms of which patients uh, meet criteria to have genetic testing done. So it's pretty much based on someone's personal history, whether or not she or he has cancer and what type of cancer and what age. Um, It could also be, you know, also based on the family history, which is so important. So the guidelines are actually very well established with who should undergo genetic testing. So, Dr. Lewin, can you give us a sense? You talked a little bit about about family history. Can you just, can you drill down a little bit more, maybe give us an example of a, of a patient who you might see, a profile of a patient who, who, who should get genetic testing? You know, just give us a little more detail. Okay, sure, absolutely. So, for example, the national guidelines say that all women with ovarian cancer or fallopian tube cancer, primary peritoneal cancer, these cancers are all treated the same. All of these women, regardless of age or family history, should have genetic testing. So that's one very clear guideline. Also, ovarian cancer and these cancers that I mentioned are also rare cancers, thankfully. So with a family history of these cancers, that also warrants uh, genetic evaluation as well, too. We also think of breast cancer at a young age, for example, under the age of 45, uh, under or equal to the age of 45, or if there are several family members um, who've been affected with different cancers at young ages, for example, if a woman has breast cancer at any age and she has one family member with breast cancer under the age of 50, that meets criteria for genetic testing. And when I say one family member, that's actually looking at first, second, and third degree relatives on both Mm. mom and dad's side of the family. So it's a pretty extensive family tree. We also see, you know, if someone has colon cancer at a young age, certainly under 50, maybe even under 60, that warrants genetic evaluation, uterine cancer under, under the age of 50. So there are several very clearly established criteria for, for patients and for men and women, um, and even those who don't have cancer but may have family members affected with these cancers, particularly at young ages. So they all really raise a red flag about which um, men and women should undergo genetic testing. 
Okay. All right. So just some good, some good details there. But want folks to know that there are specific guidelines. So if you have questions, you should talk to your doctor about that. Um, Barbara, we've got a couple minutes until our break here. But but tell us when were you approached about genetic testing? Did someone raise this with you, or did you bring it up? My internist brought it up with me in 2008. My mother, at age 83, had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. However, she did not die of it. She died nine years later of a different disease. Uh, my father had colon cancer at age 82, and he mm. died also um, before the colon cancer uh, spread at all. So uh, that was my first uh, bout of testing. I was surprised that I came up negative for everything. Mm. Then again, last December, Dr. Lewin and her staff recommended, since they were, had gotten further with genetic testing, I might have a genetic test again, which I did. And at that time, they came back in January and told me that I have a genetic mutation called BRIP, B-R-I-P-1, which is not very well known what the course of that is at this point. Interesting, interesting. We've got um, a lot more to talk about with uh, Dr. Sharon Lewin and Barbara Bulow. We're talking about uh, really understanding cancer and genetics um, and a, 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 a something that's referred to as multi-gene panel testing, which, um, which we are going to get into. And I know this is um, I know this is a complicated subject for our listeners, so we're just trying to go through this step by step and give you some of the background and uh, information about this type of testing and, and uh, really thinking about your family, communicating with your family, thinking about and understanding that family history can really be so uh, critical in advancing the conversation uh, on this front. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We've got a lot to discuss, so we will be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and ten meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. 
Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Today's show is sponsored by Myriad Genetics. Today we're talking about genetic testing with Dr. Sharon Lewin, founder and executive director of the Lewin Fund and board-certified gynecologic oncologist. And Barbara Bulow, a private practice psychotherapist who is also a patient of Dr. Lewin's. Um, Dr. Lewin, uh, you know, we want to get to the heart of the topic here uh, today. We want to talk specifically about multi-panel testing. Um, and, and so we know that's one type of testing. But can you give our audience sort of a quick review of other types of genetic testing and then help us break down the multi-panel testing? So most people have heard of testing for the BRCA gene or the BRCA gene, and that's probably one of the most um, well-known types of genetic testing. But we know that there are many different genes now that can increase someone's risk of cancer. So we're actually, you know, to do the most comprehensive genetic testing, we're actually doing a panel test which looks at 25 different genes associated with eight different cancers. And so it's not just breast or ovarian cancer, for example. It could also be colon cancer, uterine cancer, prostate cancer, pancreas cancer. So several cancers that we know there are certain genes that if inherited from various family members could increase risk of cancer. So that's what we're uh, talking about today. So is the um, is the, uh, the the BRCA gene that you mentioned the test there is that Angelina Jolie is that what she had exactly that's just like Angelina Jolie because of her strong family history she was advised to have BRCA testing which she did and it turned out that she had a mutation in in the, one of the BRCA genes and so that put her at an increased risk for both breast and ovarian cancer which is why she was very open about the prophylactic surgery that she had in order to prevent, you know, the development of those cancers. But those are just two types of genes that we know about. There are several other high-risk genes that we do know about that we can test people for to see if they have. There are also these things that are called moderate penetrance genes. It's kind of a big word, but that's the genetic mutation that that Barbara has. And there are others that we've learned about now as this whole arena of genetic testing has developed. So we know that there are several genes that really should be evaluated um, in certain men and women. And if any of these are positive, then we can intervene with either prophylactic surgery or increased surveillance to help prevent these cancers from developing. Now, is it, did, you, did you experience when Angelina Jolie was sort of you know, very public about her issues. Did you experience a bump? We hear this, you know, the Angelina Jolie effect. Did you get a bump in your practice of folks saying, hey, you know, I think I should be tested? I mean, obviously, this this brings this discussion uh, to a heightened level of awareness, you know, in a good way, because we're talking about genetic testing. But is, is there also sort of a misunderstanding of the testing? And are a lot of folks sort of coming out of the woodwork thinking that they should be tested when, in fact, maybe they do not qualify? 
You know, I think the Angelina Jolie effect was really helpful because it brought a lot of attention to something that really still needs a lot of attention, you know. So I think if people are, you know, it's very important that people talk to their family members and learn who has had cancer, what kind of cancers, and at what ages, and then really speak to their physicians and see whether or not they qualify for any genetic testing. We've done a lot, especially since Angelina Jolie came forth, to really increase awareness about the BRCA gene, but we still have a long way to go when it comes to awareness for other genes. For example, Lynch syndrome, which is another syndrome, uh, hereditary syndrome, where there are other genes that could be abnormal, is just as common as having a defect in one of the BRCA genes. However, it's really unrecognized and untested. So I think, you know, any awareness that we can do is really helpful. We definitely saw an increase in testing across the country, but um, I think it was all really appropriate testing, and people really started to think about could they be at high risk for cancer and could the genetics be a component. And what do you say to a patient, Dr. Lewin, who, who wants to be tested but doesn't really qualify under the guidelines that you referenced earlier, but they're very insistent about it? What, how do you deal with that situation? Well, I tell patients that if um, th- they want to be tested but their family or personal history doesn't really meet the criteria and so insurance, therefore, may not pay for it, then that's a good thing because it means that they're really not high enough risk to warrant uh, genetic testing. By and large, though, if people meet the criteria that's nationally established for genetic testing, the test will be paid for. And really, you know, cost has not been an issue to prevent people from getting this important information. So the, the most important thing is really to know, you know, about your family tree and who has had cancer and then to really talk about it so people can be identified and tested way before these cancers develop. Okay, so go through the specifics for me, Dr. Lewin, of, 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 the, of the multi-panel testing. So let's say I'm someone with breast cancer and my family history would dictate that I would be tested. So just tell us again, is, are we talking about a blood test? What, you know, what are you testing for when you test me? And really what kind of results can I expect and how do I understand those results? Absolutely. So the panel testing is a blood test. Um, In the future, it may also be a saliva test, but right now it's a blood test. And um, once the blood is drawn, you know, you also have to, of course, list your family history, who has had cancer, what cancers, and what ages. And then the test goes off, um, if we're talking about a panel test through Myriad, it's called MyRisk, which goes off to their lab, and then the result comes back. You know, it depends, um, usually about three to four weeks. What I usually tell patients is that we can have one of three results. We'll either get a positive, and then it's good to know that information because then we can talk about prophylactic screening measures or, or, or surgery, um, we can get a negative result and the pos- you know, the, the powerful effect of a negative result is, is something that's really worth talking about because it does relieve a lot of anxiety as well as a lot of unnecessary testing and even surgery. There is something that could happen which is called a variant, which is a variant of undeterminate significance, which means that there's just an abnormality in the gene um, and it's something that, you know, we all have abnormalities in our genes that kind of what makes us unique, but we don't know if, if people who have these leads to an increased risk of cancer. So it's something that Myriad actually puts these genes into a database and they're constantly reevaluated and reclassified, and often these things are downgraded to truly benign or not significant findings. So 
I try to prepare patients in advance for what the results might be and really how it would affect their management. And could I, could I as a patient, show up positive for different genes, for multiple genes? Yes, definitely. And that's one of the great things about panel testing. And there actually were three, you know, big oral presentations at one of our largest cancer meetings two years ago called ASCO, where we learned that by doing a panel testing, we actually increased the detection rate of various mutated or abnormal genes. Because say you look at someone and you look at their family and you think, oh, that person may have a BRCA mutation. But when you actually do the panel test and you're looking at 25 different genes that could potentially be abnormal, we found a lot more defective genes instead of just the ones that we were looking for. So there's a lot of data and literature out that doing the panel testing is really the most thorough way to evaluate someone's genetic makeup and that it's really the best way if we're going to, you know, detect these uh, genetic abnormalities to truly find the most at-risk people. It's just really the most thorough evaluation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Barbara, t- tell us about your own personal experience with testing. I think you mentioned you were tested sort of twice over the past several years, and the first time uh, that the results were negative, but then you had a second uh, panel test that showed different results. Is that correct? That is correct. In 2008, it came back negative. I think I was prepared at that time, since I was postmenopausal, to have my fallopian tubes and ovaries out uh, if I had come up positive. Um, when Dr. Lewin uh, found that I had the BRIP1 genetic mutation, she referred me to an excellent uh, breast cancer uh, surgeon. And I met with him, and he said that my chances of breast cancer were somewhat elevated. So now I I alternate a mammogram with ultrasound uh, testing. So every six months, I have one or the other. Um, In terms of what this means for the future, um, I am seeing this doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And um, some treatments are geared for people that are BRCA uh, positive. Um, there are no such treatments that I know of at this point for the BRIP1 uh, genetic mutation, although things are developing and there may be in the future. Um, he did say that it may have the same course as BRCA patients in that as you go on further along, you have shorter periods of no evidence of disease. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I will, um, I'm sure with my two excellent doctors, they will let me know if there's a certain treatment or anything else I need to do about having this genetic mutation. But other than telling all my uh, biological relatives and any friend I have who has a relative with ovarian cancer, um, I more or less feel, you know, uh, fine about it. It feels like I'm part of uh, the population that's learning more about what Mm. genetic mutations mean. And Barbara, just as we get to our break here, we've got about a minute until our break, but um, can you tell us when you you got the testing the second time around, obviously you said you were negative the first time, when you got this, you know, next panel of testing the second time around, were you you worried? Were you anxious? Were you, you know, kind of tapping your finger waiting for the results? What did that feel like to you? Well, I actually wasn't. Um, I uh, was pleased to find uh, that there was a mutation 
it made sense in terms of my family history, although I became ill in my 60s, and both my parents became mm-hmm. ill in their 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it gave me a course of action, you know, in other words, looking for treatments and also mm-hmm. to a breast uh, surgeon for what course of action to take. Um, but I felt that, if anything, it relieved anxiety rather mm-hmm. than produced more anxiety. Because mm, the, informa- the information... That led to, right. uh, led to uh, helped with the decision-making process. So interesting. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about uh, cancer and genetics, multi-gene panel testing on the show today. It's a fascinating subject and getting complicated, but the field is certainly ex- advancing. Uh, we've got a lot more to discuss with our guests here. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions. How to get comfortable with new physical realities. How to reassure worried family members or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today uh, our show is sponsored by Myriad Genetics. Today's guests are Dr. Sharon Lewin, founder and executive director of the Lewin Fund and board-certified gynecologic oncologist 
and Barbara Bulow, private practice psychotherapist, who is also a patient of Dr. Lewin's. Dr. Lewin, I want to focus this segment on decision-making because uh, obviously it's a difficult uh, piece of the conversation here. Um, What would you say, you know, we talked a little bit in our last segment about patients aren't aren't sure (laughs) that they want the test or they might want it even though the guidelines don't necessarily uh, lead in that direction. Um, You know, or even you have a patient who perhaps they think that, that, you know, you think they should have the test, but they think, nah, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to know. Case, you know, case sera, sera. Um, you know, let, let's focus on the last part of the question first. If you have a patient who um, you think is appropriate for the testing, but they're resistant, they've got some fear, a little bit of a head in the sand syndrome, tell us about the conversation with that patient. I really say that, you know, knowledge is power and that by having this important information, we can not only, you know, prevent this person from getting cancer, but also family members as well, too. There, there's really no downside to having this information. Um, you know, for patients who meet the national criteria for testing, the, you know, genetic testing is covered by insurance. Uh, there are congressional laws in place that protect patients, so you can't lose your health insurance. You cannot lose your health insurance. Um, there are a lot of protections in place, so, you know, having this information only helps. First of all, the power of a negative test is very important because it does relieve a lot of anxiety. It also prevents a lot of unnecessary screening and unnecessary surgery. So, you know, the power of a negative test is very, very important. If a test does come back positive, this is a wonderful opportunity for early intervention to help with, you know, screening, increased screening, increased surveillance, even prophylactic surgery, depending on what cancers we're talking about. So, you know, when it, when it comes to cancer, and we know that, you know, one in two or one in three people will be faced with this in their lives, that it's, this is a huge area of prevention, you know, to really understand your genetic risk and to have genetic testing if, if you're an appropriate candidate for it is one huge area uh, to prevent these cancers. I know another growing area, Dr. Lewin, are, are genetic counselors who really do know quite a bit about this. I know some of them would say that uh, really a patient should meet with a genetic counselor or somebody who really is expert in this uh, before they do get tested because there should be, you know, sort of that what-if conversation that a patient should have some sense in their mind of some of the steps that they may take if they find out that they do uh, if that they do have the gene. Um, I, I, I know more and more internists, uh, OBGYNs are doing these tests. In fact, I had a friend who's OBGYN uh, 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 called for the test recently and, and, and somebody from the testing company called my friend on the cell phone to tell her that she had the gene, which was a bit startling to her. Um, you know, is, is, is there, you know, sort of emerging guidelines or procedures here about the decision-making about genetic counselors and their role in the conversation? I mean, is there a sort of an ideal way about how this should go? So that's a great question. Um, the national guidelines do say that if a clinician feels comfortable talking to patients about genetics, that, that it can be done. So this can be done by doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, genetic counselors. So you just have to feel comfortable with, um, you know, the area of genetics. Sure, in an ideal world, you know, 
people would all see genetic counselors, but, you know, access is a huge issue that there aren't enough genetic counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very busy. You know, sometimes the wait can be a year and a half to see genetic counselors, um, and you just don't want to have that kind of barrier when you really need that information. Um, I, you know, think for someone like me, there's a lot of, uh, and a lot of us, I think that, um, People are very busy, and so point-of-care testing, which means to be tested, you know, with the physician who's taking care of you, whether that's an OBGYN, an internist, an oncologist, you know, is an excellent way to really capture that information. Um, And as long as people understand what the test is all about, um, and I think I do a very good job of explaining it to patients. I think a lot of the people I know and, and work with do to say why it's important to have the test, what we'll do with that information, the implications. You know, then if people, you know, need more information or they want to see a genetic counselor, it's always a wonderful option. It's just, unfortunately, we see that in in the data across the country that even when people are referred to genetic counselors, they may not go. You know, they may be busy with a lot of other things in their lives, and to make another appointment is something that, that they don't do. So there's a big a big drop-off in the patients that are really actually tested and identified. And so one easy way to do it is and is to have the testing done in the office. So uh, I'm a big proponent of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Barbara, tell us from the patient um, perspective, what advice would you give to folks who are maybe considering t- testing or maybe those who are just turning away and saying, you know, I just rather not know, leave, leave me alone. <laughs> what uh, thoughts or advice would you have for them from your own patient perspective? Well, um, I very much agree with Dr. Lewin. Knowledge is power. And um, frankly, from my bias point of view, I, I don't see a real downside uh, to having genetic testing for some of the cancers we've been talking about. Now, if it was for Alzheimer's or Huntington's, I think there's where our genetic counselor is very important because when you're talking about something you can do, i.e. have your fallopian tubes or your ovaries out, that's one thing. When you're talking about a disease that so far we really don't have good treatments for, then people might be more cautious about that information. doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it, but it has more of an impact. If uh, you're getting older and you have memory problems, you might be quite depressed by getting a diagnosis of Alzheimer's until there are treatments that really help reverse that disease. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but that's where I think a genetic counselor or somebody who's psychologically knowledgeable is so important. Um, I very much encourage anyone who has a history of uh, ovarian or breast cancer to have the the testing. So, Dr. Lewin, can you tell us any, um, you know, details or specific incidents when you've seen the results of the test impact a patient's decision about treatment, about, you know, how does this really factor in to their treatment decision-making? Excellent question. So um, various scenarios. So the guidelines say that all women with ovarian and fallopian tube cancer need to have genetic testing. And so we test all of our ovarian cancer patients and fallopian tube cancer patients, and those that test positive 
um, maybe candidates for new drugs that have been FDA-approved or clinical trials that involve something called PARP inhibitors, P-A-R-P. So it's a targeted agent that we see works very well in patients that have BRC mutations with these ovarian or fallopian tube cancers. But we're also learning that a lot. Uh, so that's one, that's one other treatment aspect. We also do see, um, at least in some of the retrospective data, which means the data looking back, that women with these cancers who have a BRCA mutation also benefit from intraperitoneal or chemotherapy in the belly um, compared to the IV route. So treatment options for these women is definitely altered. We also see, you know, I've seen women who come to see me who may have a cyst on the ovary or may have fibroids or something that definitely is not cancer. But in taking the family history, we realize, wow, they really do meet genetic um, testing requirements. And we have diagnosed one woman who comes to mind in her late 20s uh, with a BRCA1 mutation. And so we feel actually like really good that we've identified these mutations before the cancers have developed. And now she's undergoing more intense screening for breast and ovarian cancer. And then when she's done with her family, we'll have her ovaries and tubes removed. So, you know, this knowledge is power, as we've said several times. And really, this is a great area of prevention. If we can, you know, really identify patients with these high-risk genes before their cancers develop, that's when we've made a real impact, you know, against these diseases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Lewin, is there, are there guidelines about, um, uh, or, you know, or any guidance about, you know, if I'm, if I'm a woman and I have a daughter and I have the gene, at what age she should be tested and um, at what age something would be done if she was found to have the gene? Great question. So the guidelines are a little unclear in this one area. Uh, by and large, I feel and, and my colleagues would agree, I've, I've asked a lot of other people about this, that you know, I think it's best to test when you're actually going to change your management in some sort. So by and mm-hmm. large, we recommend testing um, children you know, between maybe the ages of 21 and 25. So you know, after the age, uh, during those ages, they're able to consent for themselves. And also, we would actually change the guidelines and how they're managed. So, for example, if someone has Lynch syndrome, the colonoscopies start at the age of 25 every one to two years to help detect colon cancer. So that's why it would be important if a family history was suggestive of Lynch syndrome that we do the testing before 25 because that's when you know, we may start changing someone's care. Um, another example, too, is you know, if, if we know someone has has a BRCA mutation, BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, we may, you know, start birth control pills at an early age to help reduce the risk of ovarian cancer as well as do screening. Um, You know, and the screening usually starts around the age of 30, but the breast screening for patients with a BRCA mutation starts at the age of 25, and that's mammograms alternating with MRIs every six months. So, you know, I think definitely by testing at by the age of 25 is a good idea, anywhere between the ages of 21 and 25 when we would actually start changing the management for these uh, men and women. Interesting. So that would so there would be some action involved uh, potentially, and and so and just quickly because we're getting to uh, we're, we're getting to our break here. But so you as a parent deciding whether just to tell your kid if you have the BRCA gene, maybe even in their younger years, is obviously then a very personal decision. It is. It is definitely a very personal decision. Um, kids are very smart these days. I have patients yeah. who have genetic mutations, and their kids who yeah. are in college or high school 
definitely know about it already. So yeah, it's, um, yeah. nothing yeah. To, to be afraid yeah. of. Yeah, it's a family discussion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about understanding cancer and genetics, and we're talking specifically about multi-gene panel testing. We're going to take a quick break. We have more to discuss with our amazing guests today, so don't go away. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo from the Cancer Support Community. And today's show has been sponsored by Myriad Genetics. We're closing out our show on multi-gene panel testing with Dr. Sharon Lewin, founder and executive director of the Lewin Fund and board certified gynecologic oncologist, and Barbara Bulow, a private practice psychotherapist who is also a patient of Dr. Lewin's. In the last segment, I want to talk about support um, Barbara, you have a background in psychiatry, and obviously you know, you've, you've worked with all different types of folks with, with, uh, with different challenges, but I'd love to know how this background prepared you for the social and emotional impact of your cancer experience. First, I just want to say briefly that I do not believe that emotions either cause cancer or can cure cancer. However, I do think the way you deal with it emotionally 
can greatly affect your quality of life uh, after having uh, cancer, while in treatment with cancer, and so on. And so I think what I did myself was to try to do what I suggest my patients do, which is look at what their feelings are um, and then what can be done about them. There are certain things we can control and other things we cannot. Um, I couldn't control having cancer, but I could control uh, getting good treatment with Dr. Lewin for my cancer. And I could control what my life was going to be about, and I vowed that it wasn't going to be about cancer. You know, I've continued to work. As I mentioned, I've traveled. I, uh, you know, have a lot of things in my life to look forward to. And so I do think it is important to be positive in the midst of being realistic about what the story is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think that it was really your your background and training that that brought you to this point of view, or do you think it's just sort of your your worldview as a human being? Or tell me about that. You know, I, I don't know how to tease those apart. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People call me a positive person. I don't remember myself in, you know, as a younger person being a positive person. I certainly <laughs> have tried to be positive in the midst of dealing with all the issues of having cancer. Um, so I think part of it is your personality, but we all can um, modify or improve our usual responses to different events. Yeah, Barbara, one of our uh, one of our uh, therapists here at the cancer support community said, you know, when you get cancer, it does you don't really change who you are as a person. You know, if you're an optimistic person, you're going to be an optimistic person with cancer. If you're a cranky person, you're going to be a cranky person with cancer. <laughs> and but I you can that was... try to work on being less cranky. <laughs> yeah, but if that because causes too much, it if it causes anything. too much stress for you, then it might not be worth it. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Lewin, as we as we get to the close of our show today, can uh, do you have some places where patients can go to find support through this experience? Are there local resources, national resources, patient groups that you can recommend? Other ways that patients can find support through this? Absolutely, I actually think Myriad's website is excellent for patients because it gives a lot of accurate information about who qualifies for genetic testing and resources available. So I think Myriad's website is actually an excellent one to check out. Um, there, there are definitely a lot of you know patient support groups that have information about genetic testing. Um, I, I can list some of those off if, if you like, but there are a lot of um, support groups, particularly for. Uh, people who have BRCA mutations uh, and some support groups for Lynch syndrome. And now we just need to work on the other hereditary cancers as well. But it's just so important that even if you've had a negative hereditary assessment, you know, if it's not been a panel testing to, you know, also ask your doctors if you would qualify for a panel test and just really be sure the genetic evaluation you've had is thorough. Um, But also there are so many people that still need to be tested. You know, for example, half of all ovarian cancer patients still need to have genetic testing. So even though, you know, the national guidelines say that this needs to be done, it isn't being done. And so Mm. that's why shows like this are so important to really increase awareness. Dr. Lewin, why don't you throw out the names of three or four resources for those who might be listening today? I know sometimes our listeners are sort of, you know, sitting there with a notepad waiting for some guidance and and, and some resources. So if there are, you know, three or four that you can recommend, that would be great. 
Absolutely. Um, one, there, there are many, so I don't want to, you know, exclude anyone. But um, I, I understand. Sure. We're just giving a, um, we're just giving a, a sample list right now. So no, don't be offended, folks, if your group was not mentioned. But uh, at least it'll give us a starting point. Like share, share charrette is one example. Um, Force is another example. Uh, Bright pink. Um, th- those are some of the ones that that come to mind. Um, but. Uh, there is also a new support group for Lynch syndrome that I'm sorry, I'm just blinking on the name all of a sudden, but mm-hmm. um, th- those are some of the, the ones that come to mind. Share Charette, Force, Bright Pink. Of course, the I have found community Inspire is very helpful. What is that? Say that again. Inspire.com. Okay. Okay. Inspire.com. Great. Great, terrific, and we'll try to make sure these are, are listed on our website. I think some of them already are under some of our resources, but um, we will uh, we'll take a peek and make sure those resources are um, are updated because it is important. Um, uh, it is important that, that folks have that our listeners have a place to go to at least get started and look for some different uh, different resources that they can connect to in the community. Um, we are getting very quickly to the end of our show, but I just want to ask both of you um, what what advice. Uh, I'll start with you, Dr. Lewin. What advice would you give to folks who may be unsure about? their genetic history um, and are trying to make a decision about whether they should get treatment or or get some of their questions answered, what should they do? So it's very, I think I would love to stress the importance of really knowing your family history, um, finding out who in the family has had cancer, what cancers, what ages, and really speak to your physician about it and ask, you know, really it's important to feel empowered and take, be empowered for your own health care and ask your physicians if, you qualify for genetic testing and whether or not that would be something important for you to do. So I just really encourage all uh, listeners to really be advocates in their own health care. It's very important. Mm-hmm. And ask, really ask questions and, and roll up your sleeves. And exactly. Barbara, quickly, from, from you, Barbara, quickly, what advice would you have for others who, who might be facing this decision-making? Maybe they're putting their head in the sand. They don't want to have the testing done. Uh, others are sort of on the fence about it. What, what thoughts do you have for them? I think that, as I said earlier, anxiety lessens with getting the testing and getting the results. Um, so that I think most people find it helpful, even if they're negative or if they're positive, because it gives them uh, some power and some knowledge. Great, excellent, excellent. So, some great advice for our uh, for our listeners. I want to. Thank you both so much for joining us today on the show. It's been a wonderful and enlightening conversation. It's a lot to uh, it's a lot to unpack, a lot for folks to take in. But certainly, if this is an area uh, of concern for you, if you have some family history, if you're uh, uncertain, then really do get in there. Talk to your doctor. Talk to your oncologist. Talk to your OBGYN. Talk to your primary care doctor to get some of these questions um, answered. So I, I just want to thank folks for listening today to Frankly Speaking About Cancer from the Cancer Support Community. I just also want to remind our listeners that we provide at the Cancer Support Community a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. We want to remind folks that if you are diagnosed with cancer, you do not uh, have to face cancer alone. Please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org for a whole host of resources. If you want to find one of our 53 centers around the country or one of our satellite locations, you could also call our helpline right now and you could speak to one of our counselors at 888-793-9355. Again, that's 888-793-9355. Thank you for listening 
to the cancer support community. We also want to uh, encourage you to join our grassroots advocacy network, cscadvocate.org, to make your voices heard. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management